The following sermon was preached by Tim Abbott at Redemption Hill Church on Sunday, July 12, 2020. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. We are in the middle of our summer series as we are looking at the parables of Jesus. The next two weeks, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew records five sermons by Jesus, starting with the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of those sermons. This is the fourth sermon of Jesus here in, here in the book of Matthew. This sermon has a common theme running throughout. The theme is how God's people are meant to act towards one another. Specifically, it teaches us how are we supposed to be with one another even when we sin against each other. This sermon from Jesus helps us as Christians know how to live together, to know how to respond when we are sinned against, to know what forgiveness really is. Just this past week, uh, my wife got my little girl, who is three, a coloring book uh, that she really wanted of some characters I had never heard of, and we gave it to her. And uh, you, you honestly would have thought that we took her to Disney World. I mean, the level of excitement that my three-year-old can express is so beautiful and good. Her eyes lit up. She kept saying thank you over and over again. It was very, very cute. And then about 30 seconds later, our seven-year-old asked if he could see it. And immediately the whole situation changed. Her face clenched up. She looked angry. She said, as angry as she could get it, no, you can't see it. It's mine. And then she hit him. I don't know why she hit him, but he can take a punch. So he was fine. I knew he was fine, but he still hit her back. And, and so at this point, we have to start parenting. We have to step in. And, and so we tell Abraham, you need to apologize, and he does. And then he asks her, do you forgive me? We often ask that question or make sure that we say that we, we forgive you. And she says, no, I don't forgive you. And then she hits him again. Um, and, and her face scrunches up and her mouth gets real tight. And all I'm thinking is, is that what I look like when I get mad? Like, did you learn that from me? I hope not. Probably your mom. Um, and... And then mom looks at her and says, Clementine, Ruth, Abbott, and immediately the whole thing changes. She runs to Abraham, she hugs him, says, I forgive you, and eventually we get to that wonderful good ending. And all I'm doing there in this, I'm not doing much, but all I'm doing is I'm watching this, I'm looking at a three-year-old who has no money, no ability to get money, is given a gift, and her immediate response is selfishness, defensiveness, and lack of forgiveness. And I just sit there with a smile on my face and say, there are biblical parables unfolding in my living room. This is great. Forgiveness is one of those foundational rocks of Christianity. It is one of those things that we are all taught from an early age, whether we're Christian or not, to, to be able to forgive. It is also one of the hardest things that we are required to do as Christians. And because it's hard, we have Honestly, in, in most of our hearts, we have tried to change what it actually means. We have tried to change it so that it better suits our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, wrote that we tend to interpret the, the teachings of Jesus in a way that leaves us safe, comfortable, unchallenged. And we do this to avoid simple, literal obedience. The truth is that forgiveness as it is described in the Bible, forgiveness as God has truly forgiven us, has, has forgiven his children, is very clearly defined. It is very clear on what we need to do. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it does mean that we do not get to define forgiveness based on how and when we want to apply it. 
I, I would never want to, I don't want to now minimize your hurt or minimize your pain. I would never want to do that. My, what I want to do today, my hope today, is that each of us would stand in awe of what God has done for you in Christ, and that that would move us to cheerfully, willingly, always be ready to forgive those who have sinned against us. So then, what is, what is forgiveness? Jesus teaches us well. Matthew 18, this is verses 23 through 25. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We have a game my son likes to play at home that we just call, is this a real number? Um, He'll ask, is 11,523 a real number? And I'm like, yeah, that's a real number, buddy. Um, Then he goes on, is 30 bajillion a real number? Uh, I don't think so. Probably not. This usually goes on for about 30 minutes. So at some point, I have to tell him, absolutely not a number. We need to stop there. And usually, that's when he says, like, 50 centillion. And I'm like, no, that's absolutely not a number, which apparently it is. I was actually wrong when I told him that. Um, Here is Jesus, and in this moment, he is describing a debt that cannot possibly be paid. He uses the monetary term talent. At that time, two talents would be what most people could earn in their entire life. And Jesus says that this man owed 10,000 talents, an amount that could possibly be reached in 5,000 lifetimes. In fact, the word that Jesus uses here could be translated an infinite amount of talents. He might as well have said 50 centillion, whatever that number is. Uh, This number, best by today's metrics, would be in the billions of dollars, a debt that could not possibly be paid. Jesus is using an absurd figure here to paint a picture of impossibility. So the king is going to take him and his family and everything that he has to pay back this debt. And in verse 26, it says that the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him, have patience with me and I will pay you back everything. And you don't have to raise your hand right now. I know I'm raising my hand, but don't raise yours. Um, but how many of you are paying back, again, just in your mind, are paying back school loans right now? How many of you have paid back school loans, and at the end of it, you had a huge party to celebrate what was years of, of burden? You, you probably know this because you've lived it. But on average right now, it takes 21 years to pay back just about thirty dollars or $40,000 of school loans. 21 years. Some of you are just out of college or a few years out and looking at your school debt and just thinking, I'm never going to pay this off. This man owes billions of dollars. And he says to him, I just need more time. Like, just give me a few more months and I can get it for you. King, just have patience and I will pay everything back. I I hope you can see the absurdity of that. And if you can, then I hope you can see the absurdity of thinking that you can earn your salvation, that you can earn your forgiveness, that you can do enough righteous good deeds to pay off the debt that you owe God. Because most of us, if we're honest, in some way we are trying to earn that forgiveness. Do enough good works and I'll pay you back everything. When we feel the guilt and weight of our sin weighing heavy upon our soul, and we determine in our heart, I'm going to make this right. I can make this right. I can make up for all that I've done wrong. Then you don't understand how massive that debt is. 
This is where forgiveness comes in. Literally here in Matthew, the term means to release, to let go. The man had only asked for more time. What he received was being released from the biggest debt that could be imagined. God gives us so much more than we could ever ask or even think. Ephesians 1.7, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. And it has not been reluctantly, hesitantly, begrudgingly given to us. It has been lavished upon us according to the riches of the grace of the creator of the universe. His forgiveness is way over the top and so much better than we could ask or think. So how does a term this big, how does a term this lavish help us to understand forgiveness? It shows us that that God's forgiveness is complete. The huge, massive debt that you and I have each piled up for ourselves, the massive debt that can never be repaid, it is completely wiped away. Verse 27 of Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that out of pity for him, the master, the servant, released him and forgave him the debt. It was completely gone. The king didn't release him from part of the debt. He didn't wipe out most of the debt. He didn't make it so that the man was still going to have to pay him something. Yet most of us, the way we live is that God forgives the majority of the $3 billion debt. But God God actually just made the debt much smaller. He brought it down to $50,000, something that's manageable, something that will take some time, but that we can work to, to, to actually pay off. I can pay that off if I do enough good things. We live like God didn't wipe the debt clean. Jesus didn't take the debt and pay it himself. He just made our debt more manageable. That's not what he did. And if he did, it wouldn't work. Because we would almost immediately, as we will see in a moment, we would almost immediately start adding back to that debt things that we need to be forgiven for. We would start piling back on that debt immediately. When God forgives the debt, he does it completely. And you can't add to it. And that's a good thing. You can't take care of just part of it. He is taking care of all of it. And we get to now live as those who have been set free from the burden of that debt. The truth is, our our debt wasn't simply erased. Jesus isn't giving a complete picture of, of the gospel here. It was paid for. Every last dollar, every last sin that we have. So when we live and we try to live like we should still be paying for part of it, then we are looking at the sacrifice that God made. We are looking at the sacrifice Christ made and saying, it's not enough. It's not sufficient. We're telling God, let my good works stand alongside of what Jesus did. My good works plus Jesus dying on the cross, that should equal forgiveness. God in the flesh giving his life on the cross was helpful, but there still needs to be something more. That's not it. And we should be thankful for that. As much as we might wrestle with feeling forgiven, please hear these words today. If you don't go away with anything else, God has lavished upon you the riches of his grace by completely, totally, and eternally forgiving you through the glory of what happened when he sent his son into this world. What a beautiful, 
glorious truth, and it is beautiful and glorious that you can't make that any better. There should be great freedom in knowing and believing that you can't pay back any part of it. So, if forgiveness has been so freely and abundantly given to us, then why is it so hard to forgive others? Why is it so hard to forgive? The, 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 the verse following that, we're told what, how the servant responds. It says, when the ser- same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This man had been, been forgiven so much, he had been given his life, and yet almost immediately his response is to go out and to refuse to forgive someone else. I, uh, I recently watched uh, the greatest documentary of all time. Uh, it's called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan and the 1980s and 90s Chicago Bulls. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably see it. Um, I'm, and, and honestly, the whole time I'm watching it, it's 10 parts. And it takes me like two months to, fin- to finish it. But it was so good. And I'm sitting there the whole time with the biggest smile on my face. And I just keep saying out loud, there's nobody else in the room. I'm not talking to anybody. But I just keep saying out loud, can you believe that? Did you just see what he did? I'm just talking to the room. I'm texting friends like this just happened, like I'm not watching video from 30 years ago. Now my wife sits down and she watches part of this with me. She knows Jordan, she likes basketball, so she sits down and watches part of it with me. And most of the time I would look over and I would just see her shaking her head and, and, and saying things like, he is just so prideful. He's, he is so selfish. Man, that, he is really prideful. I didn't know this about him. Why would anyone cheer for him? And all I'm thinking most of the time is, who is she talking about? Like, there's no way she's talking about Jordan that way. Now, to give you some context, my wife was a basketball fan. As a 10-year-old girl in Missouri, she was a huge Detroit Pistons fan. Um, and uh, if, you, if you don't know 80s, 90s basketball, um, it's basically like, uh, I don't even know, Yankees or Red Sox. Um, it could be the Patriots and everybody else in the world. Um, it could, it, but these were, the, these were the Pistons and the Bulls at that, at that point. And, and basically in 1991, the Jordan and the Bulls beat the Pistons, and they never won anything ever again. Um, and so that's where she's coming from. So she has a different point of view from me. For me, yeah, MJ had some flaws, but that's just part of what made him great. So he punched a teammate. The teammate had probably deserved it. Um, the truth is, though, that she's probably not wrong. I'm, I'm looking at it through the lens of someone who at 12 tried to imitate everything that Jordan did. No basketball skills whatsoever, and still I tried to imitate everything that he did. I want to believe the best in that person. She's looking at it through the lens of someone who defeated her team. The lens that we see through decides so much of how we act toward one another, of how we move toward one another, and of how willing we are to actually forgive one another. When someone sins against us, we start to see them through a certain lens. The truth is that if we only see this other person, if we only see the person who sins against us, is all we see if there is their sin, if all we see is the hurt that they have caused us, 
then our lens will become one of anger and bitterness, and we will never truly be able to forgive. The next few verses tells us what lens that man was looking through. Verse 28, again, that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Forgiveness is hard. There's a number of reasons. Forgiveness is hard because we are genuinely sinned against many times. We are sinned against by people that we know and trust. The truth is that this man sees the situation correctly in many ways. He is not wrong that he is actually owed a lot of money. The other man agrees with that. He is not wrong that the man should probably pay him back. The man agrees with that. I've heard pastors who talk about this parable, and they say that the man was forgiven this, this great debt, but then for a few pennies, for a few dollars, this man can't forgive. But I, I love what Jesus does here. That's not actually what Jesus does here. He doesn't give an exaggerated low number. He doesn't say that the man found someone who owed him just a few bucks and he wouldn't forgive him. Jesus uses a number that everyone there listening would have agreed, that's a big deal. This would have been a serious transgression. The money that, that, that's described here is equivalent to about four months' pay, a third of the year for most people at the time. This wasn't insignificant in any way. This man in the story had every human reason to demand that money, to be angry that it hadn't been paid back, except that he had just been forgiven billions of dollars. Forgiveness is hard because people genuinely hurt us. Forgiveness does not mean that the pain goes away, that the hurting stops right away. Many times we don't feel like we can forgive because it still hurts so badly. I understand that. This is why Jesus on the cross is so good and beautiful. Before he died, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He was forgiving them, but the hurt, the pain that they caused, that they inflicted, was still there. He forgave them in the midst of the pain. Forgiveness doesn't mean that your hurt isn't real, and it doesn't mean that your hurt goes away. It definitely doesn't mean that your hurt doesn't matter. But that is what, what, is, what is part of what makes forgiveness so amazing. So forgiveness is hard because it, there are real hurts involved. And forgiveness is hard because what happens now is if a brother or sister in the church has truly hurt us, we as, a, we as Christians actually have a responsibility towards them. A responsibility to point out their sin, to call out their sin, to rebuke their sin. It doesn't sound right or, or fair to say, well, the person who was hurt has to do something now. And yet that's, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus went through so much, so sinless, to bring forgiveness to us. Verse 15 of chapter 18, right before Peter asks his question and Jesus gives us this parable, Jesus tells us what we need to do when someone sins against us. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 17, Jesus is, is teaching. This is a similar passage. And in verse 3, he tells us, if your brother or si sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't try to stop them from sinning or hurting again. We are told to point out the sin, to call out the sin, to rebuke the sin. We are right to want that person to stop sinning. We are right to do what we can to, to, to help them stop sinning. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean that you ignore the fact that a wrong has been done or a sin has been committed. But it, but it does mean that when they confess it, when they say, I turn away from that, I repent and say, I'm sorry for the hurt that I've caused. I'm sorry for my sin. Then we forgive. And while that repentance is certainly right and hopefully helpful, forgiveness is still hard. Because for many of us, when someone sins against, our, against us, our natural response is hurt. We take it personally, and that can easily lead to anger, which can easily lead to ongoing, enduring bitterness. Verses 29 and 30, this man is clearly consumed by bitterness. Even though he had been forgiven so much, he is consumed by bitterness and self-righteousness. It says that he sees the other man, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. It does cause hurt. That's not wrong. But then that hurt leads to anger and that anger leads to bitterness, unrelenting bitterness. Surely there were times where this man could have gone other times and found this man. Surely there was a way to talk to him about this debt that didn't lead to this. But as soon as he sees that man, he's so enraged so bitter. He starts to choke him and yell at him. Forgiveness is hard because the debt is real, the hurt, the pain, it's all real. Someone might have significantly hurt you, taken from you. You might be completely right to demand repayment, except that we have been forgiven so, so much. As God's people, we have been forgiven so much more than we could ever forgive anyone else. When you start to see people through the lens of bitterness, then all you can see is the wrongs that that person has done. You no longer see your brother or your sister. That once you cared about, you sat next to, you sang with, you no longer see Jesus and all that he has done for you. You see yourself as someone who's been sinned against and you see the person as nothing but their sin. How do you move from that to truly forgiving your brother or your sister? Forgiveness is hard. And then Jesus comes in, and to be honest, in his teaching, he makes it even harder. He doesn't come in and immediately make it easier. The whole parable gets started with a question from Peter, my favorite question in the world, who is basically saying, forgiveness is hard, Jesus, so we, can we put some parameters around it so it'll be a little easier? Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter asks, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Not even seven times. He doesn't even just say, do I have to forgive him seven times? He says, up to seven times. If I'm feeling generous, I'll go all the way up to seven. Peter likely believed that he was being generous here. Some of the rabbis at that time taught that all you needed to do was forgive somebody three times. After that, you were free to cut the person out of your life, seek retribution. You no longer had to forgive. But he's not looking to be more generous. I think we can all agree. He's probably not looking to be that generous with his forgiveness. What Peter was actually looking for was, when do I get to stop forgiving someone? How soon can I look at someone and say, nope, no more forgiveness for you? He is looking at Jesus, Jesus, and says, how many more times do I let somebody sin against me before I can cut them out of my life? Because James is at six right now. And I'd really like him to hear you say seven. That's not in there. That's my own interpretation. Um, don't go looking for it. 
Can you imagine, if you're a Christian, can you imagine being with Jesus for three years and asking that question? Maybe you never have this thought. I, I have it a lot. I think in my disobedience when I'm sinning, I think if, if I had just been with Jesus, if I was there with Jesus, if Jesus had talked to me personally, I'd do everything that he ever said. Like there's no way I'd ever sin ever again. Well, Peter just blows that out of the water all the time. He just blows that idea. We would not be more holy and more righteous. We would not have less questions, even if Jesus were physically standing right next to us. And so Jesus tells Peter in verse 22, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Some versions will say 77 times. Either way, the point wasn't to give an official number. It was to say as often as it happens, you need to forgive. In Luke 17, 4, if this isn't hard enough for you, Jesus is even more specific about what this means. And again, makes this harder. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 4. He says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. 77, 490, those are big numbers. But if you spread that out enough, it takes some of the edge off. Maybe it doesn't feel that bad. But Jesus gets real specific, honestly, to the point where for me it's almost uncomfortable. And if I'm honest, I just look at this and say it's impossible. He says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, but seven times he turns to you and says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I repent, then you have to forgive him. Please don't think that Jesus does, just doesn't recognize the practical difficulty of this, that he's just not really aware of how hard this is, that it is not natural to question somebody's sincerity if, if they apologize for something and then they do it again. Jesus isn't just like, man, I didn't think about that. By the seventh time in the same day that somebody has gone through this, I don't think any of us would believe that person actually meant it. I don't believe there's any of us that would think, yeah, you've been really, really repentant every time. So it's, it's been 20 minutes and you've sinned against me seven times. Like this is, there's no way. The point of what he is trying to help us see here is that forgiveness, as hard as this is, isn't, isn't conditional to the situation. And forgiveness isn't a numbers game. It isn't about how many times you've done it before. We should all be very, very thankful that the way we want to forgive is not the way that God actually forgives us. Each of us, each of us day after day, most every day, if we're honest, sins against God more than seven times. I can't, you know, there's a part of me that just says, man, if I was Jesus and Peter said, how many times are you supposed to forgive somebody up to seven? I'd be like, that's about right. I think you're done, Peter. Like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure your seven is up. Um, and yet God doesn't stop forgiving us. God doesn't stop at seven times or 77 times or 490 times. And so one last time, Jesus makes it much harder, makes it basically impossible. This is the very end. There's three words at the end of this passage that are easily missed. This is Matthew Chapter 18, verse 35, he says, you must forgive your brother 
and then he just says three words, from your heart. We should probably all just be throwing up our hands at this point. If you were there in the moment, I think I would have just said, I'm done. There's no way I can do this. This is just too hard. Jesus doesn't just say you need to forgive someone, that you just say the right words, do the right actions. He says you've got to actually forgive that person. It's got to be in your heart. You've got to actually forgive them from, from your heart. That person who has sinned against you seven times today, you've got to forgive them each time from your heart. That person who has sinned against you 500, 500 times, in your heart, you have to forgive them. You can't hang on to it. You can't resent forever that you forgave them. You can't hold it over their heads forever that you forgave them. You have to actually forgive them. If you're a Christian, then you will actually forgive them. It is hard to forgive, and Jesus makes it harder, not to just put us to the test, but to help us see where the key to forgiveness really lies. It's what Jesus tells us in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Forgiveness is a fruit of abiding in Christ. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, including forgiveness. I know we all want to believe we can do forgiveness with, with or without Jesus. We've all been taught this from an early age. But we're told apart from him, we can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, including the fruit of forgiveness. We see this man in the story who was forgiven this huge debt, but then becomes enraged and demanding at someone over a much smaller debt. And I think for most of us, we can look at that situation and say, yeah, that guy was bad but I would do better than that. I would handle that situation better. But would we? The truth is we wouldn't because forgiveness is not just hard, it's impossible apart from Christ. We are called to forgive one another, not on our own terms, but as God in Christ has forgiven us. And as much as we treasure being forgiven by God, we still hesitate or refuse to forgive others. We still question if it really matters whether in my heart I mean it or not. We question whether, whether it really matters if we forgive somebody or not. So then does it really make a difference if we forgive another person, if we forgive our brother or sister? Verses 31 to 33 of, of Matthew 18. Jesus said, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, saw him take the man in the street, saw him throw him in jail, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? It matters that we forgive people. It matters that we forgive our brothers and sisters. Christians are meant now to represent their Savior their forgiver in everything that we do. He asks, shouldn't you have had mercy on him just like I had mercy on you? We are called to forgive as others, as, uh, forgive others as Christ has forgiven us, not just because it is the best thing for us to do, not because it is best for our health and well-being, it very well might be, but because we now represent the one who has forgiven us. 
We have the chance to live out and proclaim through our words and actions the amazing grace that has been lavished upon us. We now have the freedom to forgive like he has forgiven us. Not simply as another command that we grit our teeth and force ourselves to follow, but as an opportunity to proclaim the good news of God's forgiveness. Being unwilling to forgive and holding to our anger and bitterness threatens our growth as Christians. It threatens our growth as a church. It threatens the unity of our church family and threatens to keep us from doing the work of making disciples and proclaiming the gospel. That is why this matters so much. Jesus means for us as his people, both corporately and individually, to display to one another and to the world what he has done for his people. And, his, and as his people, we are to display to the world who he is, what he is like, to display his character. When this man goes out immediately and takes that man and, and says, I refuse to forgive you, becomes anger and, and, and angry and bitter, he is saying, I don't care what just happened to me. That was great. I'm thankful for it. But that doesn't have anything to do with this situation. He had a chance to proclaim the beauty and glory of what had just happened to him. And so the other servants are distressed. They saw it and they knew others saw this angry, bitter unwillingness to forgive. We don't recognize enough the close, unbreakable bonds that God has formed together in building his church. We don't see the importance of those bonds. We don't just individually represent Christ, but we corporately represent him. If one member is not doing it well, then we need to help each other. We need to rebuke each other at times. We need to help each other remember what God has done for us. We don't often love and appreciate how God has brought his people so close together. And so we're willing to let go of those relationships in a way that is not what God has intended. We get to collectively display to the world, not just to sit and hear God's word in, in, a, in a comfortable place, but we get to display to the world together who God is and what he's done. We are not bound together by personal preferences, style of worship, as good as it is this morning, as so good, how good the preacher is, those aren't and shouldn't be the things that unite us together. Those aren't the things that make us a family. We don't see those close, unbreakable bonds that God has formed together, so we too easily think it's okay if I don't forgive someone. For some of us, we've been sitting around for four months, and I get it, man, I get, I get angry all the time. We're sitting around mad and angry at what people have done, at what people have not done. We're angry and bitter because the only things we see are things that they post online, and we think that's just all-encompassing on who they are. There's been distance forced upon us, and that distance has allowed us to stay in our anger and bitterness and say, these people don't really matter to me. I can, I can have them in my life or not. I can cut them out of my life and be just fine. And so we don't talk to them. We don't talk to them about what's, what's bothering us. We don't talk to them about what's going on. We don't offer forgiveness because talking to them, working things out, might mean that we actually forgive each other and, and see the unity that God has brought about. I would just rather move on from that relationship than actually do the work that God has called us to. That is not what Christ gave his life to build. The church is worth fighting for. Fellow Christians are worth fighting for. We should celebrate the unique, unbreakable bonds that God has created. 
And part of that is going to be addressing sin, and part of that is going to be willing to be forgiving to one another. We are bound together as those who have been forgiven. We are a church. If you are a part of this church, we are a community of those who have been forgiven. And a community of forgiven people must be, should be, will be a forgiving community. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then you must be lavish. You must be extravagant in your forgiveness. I don't get to just decide what I want to do simply based on what I feel is right or wrong in the moment. Everything that I do should point to the powerful work that God has done in my life, should point towards the the amazing character of God. Your ability, your willingness to forgive shows the world what a difference Jesus makes. And if you're unwilling to forgive, then Jesus makes no difference. But if you're willing to forgive, even in the difficulty, even in how hard it is, then you proclaim the excellencies of, of what has happened to us, of what God has done for us. Forgiveness matters because it reflects what God has done for us. And it matters because if we don't forgive, if we refuse to forgive someone who has repented, someone who has apologized and confessed, then we prove that we don't really trust and believe in him. That brings us to the incredibly difficult final two verses that be easy to just say, man, let's just end in verse 33. Um, Verses 34 and 35 And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. The parable is meant to show us the extent that God cares about how much we need to forgive others. And here he wraps up by saying, you will not be forgiven if you refuse, if you cannot, if you say there's no way that I can forgive my brother." Jesus wants to leave no doubt in our minds how vital this is. It is not just important. It is not just something that we should work to get right. It is essential. If you are not willing to forgive, then you will not be forgiven. Your willingness to forgive shows that God is at work in your heart. And your unwillingness is a sign that you don't truly trust and believe in him. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean there isn't a lot of work to do. That doesn't mean you won't need help. But it does mean that you'll be willing to forgive. Uh, when I was in middle school, uh, middle school was a tough time for a lot of people. If you're in middle school right now, it's difficult. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's a tough place. It's a tough time. Uh, when I was in middle school for several years, uh, I was bullied a lot. Uh, a few guys just decided that I was their target most of the time, uh, day after day. Um, it just felt like it was coming all the time. Side note, no extra charge. Bullying is awful. Don't bully people. Um, it's probably in the Bible somewhere. Um, uh, these guys uh, hurt and embarrassed me consistently over years. Uh, and a few years later, I saw one of these guys, and he came up to me, and he apologized. He said, man, we were awful to you. I'm sorry. Um, and, and in that moment, all I wanted to do was reenact the bad parts of Matthew 18 right here. I wanted him to know how much it actually hurt. I wanted him to know how long his actions continued to hurt. There was a part of me that wanted him to hurt, to know what it was like. But I had recently read Ephesians 4 that says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And in my mind, I'm like, dang it, why did I have to read that this week? I, like, at least if that was a little distant, it wouldn't have the impact. How, how do we forgive? How do we forgive people <laughs> that, that have hurt us, that, that, that truly they are indebted to us because of what they've done? Often our resistance to forgiving someone is simply, I just can't. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how I've been hurt. And you're right, I, I don't. I don't know, and, and as a pastor, as a Christian brother, I, I want to know and I want to care and I want to help. But ultimately, I'm not asking you to compare your situation to mine. I'm not asking you to compare your forgiveness to mine. I'm not asking you to compare your hurt to mine. When someone has repented, has sought forgiveness, and we still refuse to forgive them, it shows that we don't believe that we've been forgiven. We don't believe that we've actually sinned against God as much as we actually have. And you don't believe the links that God has gone through to show us forgiveness. When we see the width, the height, the length, and the breadth, and the depth of the love of Christ that takes hold of our hearts, that changes us. It changes the way we see. We now start to see through a lens that is different. We now start to see that even through everything that has happened to us, we see through the great love of Christ, and it compels us to forgive others. The apostles, after hearing how much we have to be willing to forgive, this is Luke 17, said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. They, they threw up their hands and said, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to do something here. Increase our faith. We need Jesus to increase our faith to give us the ability to do this. I'm asking you today to look to Jesus because when you get to that point where you say, I just can't, that's when you look to Jesus. That's where he's so perfect and wonderful and good. That's when we need Jesus. When we say we can't, we look to Jesus and he makes it possible. This, this parable isn't a complete picture of the gospel. Jesus is not intending it to be, but because he doesn't in this moment explain his role in achieving that forgiveness. When we are demanding from others and refusing to forgive them for what they have done, we have forgotten that God didn't just wipe away our debt. He sent his son to pay the entire price. It was his son that took that jail sentence for us. So while he was out there demanding that someone else pay him back, there was someone in his place in jail. While we were refusing to forgive others, Jesus was giving his life so that God would forgive us. Christians, we need to have forgiveness ready at the edge of our lips, at the tips of our fingers each and every day. We should be the most prepared and ready to be merciful to others, the most ready to seek reconciliation with other members of, of, God's, of God's church, of the body of Christ. We are not the good people telling bad people how to be good. We are not a group of people without sin telling sinners how to be just like us. We are a, peop a people who are deep in debt that we could never repay. We are a people who have been forgiven that debt, forgiven greatly, that now get to go out and tell others that their debt, they don't have to pay that back. They don't have to pay that back. We can get to go and proclaim to others that no matter how deep your debt is, there is forgiveness. It wasn't just that this man shouldn't have been demanding his money back. It's that he should have been running through the streets 
with the gospel on his lips. He should have been telling everyone, I was so in debt that I was going to live in prison forever. My life was over, and it has all been completely and totally forgiven. He should have run up to this man who owed him thousands of dollars and said, it is all forgiven. Let me tell you why. He should have been at work proclaiming the beauty, goodness, majesty of the one who forgave him. But all he could see what it, is what had been done wrong to him. All he could see was the debt that was owed him. Forgiveness doesn't say the offense doesn't matter. Forgiveness doesn't make light of the transgression. It doesn't make light of the sin. It doesn't make light of the wrong that has been committed against you. God did not make light of that sin against you. God has not made light of your sin. He poured all of his wrath and punishment into his own son because of that sin. He didn't take it lightly. His son endured that punishment, our suffering, so that we could be forgiven. That is what should always be set in front of us. When we see people, that is what should always be set in front of us. You don't see through eyes of rage, anger, or bitterness. You see through the lens of Jesus. You see through the lens of the gospel of Christ. My hope and prayer today is that the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ will take hold of our hearts in a way that moves us to joyful, complete from the heart, forgiveness. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we're going to sing together again. Father, I, uh, I come to you humbly, knowing how hard this is, knowing how much I failed, knowing how much sin I have in my own heart, in my own life, how much I've been forgiven. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the, the great lengths that you went to in perfect holiness to bring forgiveness to your people. So I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would speak to the hard, bitter, angry parts of our heart, that you would proclaim healing, that you would proclaim forgiveness, and that that forgiveness to our hearts would set us free, free to forgive those who have hurt us, she would teach us to forgive as, as you have forgiven us. I pray that as we consider our lives and we think about our relationships, as we think about those that have hurt us, that we would be reminded of what you have done for us and that you would move us to forgive and to seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. So help us now as we think about those, those, those relationships. Help us to take the, the steps to do the things that we need to do uh, to, to, to extend that forgiveness. Um, remove the callousness of our hearts. Remove the stiffness of our necks. Teach us to trust and obey in the things that you have called us to do because you are so worthy and so uh, worthy to be praised, worthy to be trusted. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.